Just out of curiosity, how many of you is that song new to? Seriously. Wow. Wow. Good song. <laughs> Good song. We are in Isaiah 15 tonight. Isaiah 15, the last couple of weeks we've talked about the burden upon Babylon, the uh, prophecy of God's judgment upon Babylon. Not a happy study, but a study that gives you the joy and peace of knowing that God is in control and that God does not overlook. He does not, he does not tolerate sin, though his judgment on sin is rarely in our timetable. Tonight uh, in Isaiah 15, let me, let me uh, read the first verse and I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. He's, has he switched now to a different city that's going to be destroyed? Isaiah 15, 1, the burden of Moab, because in the night R of Moab is laid waste and brought to silence, because in the night Kir of Moab is laid waste and brought to silence. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love, your blessing, and thank you for your oversight over all things. Lord, it's uh, good to know that, that uh, though when things look so chaotic in the world, that you're not distraught, you're not biting your fingernails, you're not wondering what you're going to do. I'm grateful, Lord, that you've written the last chapter. Lord, we look forward to a day in which you call us home to be with you, but Lord, uh, the same time it's bittersweet because though we will have the incredible privilege of being in heaven with you on this earth for many people that we know very likely they will go through a time of intense judgment so I pray Lord that you will help us tonight to see your face in this to see your will and Lord lead us and guide us we love you in Jesus name amen if you're taking notes right off the bat now, Roman number one, Moabite cities destroyed. When you think of the Moabites in the Bible, you think of a nation that came from Lot through an incestuous relationship of his daughters in Genesis 19. And then you, think, you see how, as the years progressed, how they became a perpetual enemy of Israel. And what's interesting, by the way, they hired Balaam, a backslidden prophet, to curse Israel. But there is a bright spot, and I was thinking about that in preparation for this study. And that bright spot, when you think of Moab, I'm going through my memory, and I asked the folks today, and they couldn't think of any other, but I only think of one bright spot person that came out of the tribe of Moab, or out of Moab. Can anybody think of who that might be? Candy? Was she from Moab? Really? Two then? Huh. Jennifer? Ruth. Yeah. Rahab, really? Well, hallelujah. That encourages me then. Praise the Lord. Well, what I was thinking was Ruth the Moabitess. Okay. Okay. All right. That's okay. It's okay to be off. It's all right. Ruth the Moabitess, a shining light that gives us this wonderful thing. Something good came out of Moab. But apart from that, Apart from that, I couldn't find anything, and if you found something, uh, let me know that. But uh, with that in mind, God chose to bring intense judgment on Moab. 
letter A, once powerful cities of Moab silenced. And we're going to just go through a list of cities, basically, that were destroyed or will be destroyed, according to Isaiah's prophecy. Number one, this prophecy given in Hezekiah's reign. Here is the prophecy against Moab. It was likely delivered toward the beginning of Hezekiah's reign when Shalmaneser of Assyria invaded Israel. Number two, the attacks in Moab would occur at night. Seemingly, according to verse number one, it happened at night. These cities of Moab would be attacked and left silent in the night, adding to the terror of their complete destruction. Every once in a while we'll see on the news what's going on in the Middle East with the rockets coming over into Israel. And they make such a dramatic effect with those bright missiles on, in the sky, in the dark sky. But you have to wonder what it would be like when there was no electricity there, when the, when the armies attacked holding fire and the army came in the middle of the night and they did the destruction. It had to have been terrifying. Number three, they would be destroyed by the Assyrians prior to Babylon's surge. Remember, uh, God brought uh, Assyria, first of all, and, and uh, came through the north, the northern tribes. And then he followed that up with Assyrians' uh, destruction with Babylon. Then in three different uh, deportations, as they came and they seized the city, uh, this destruction would occur before Babylon's captivity of Judah. Number four, their great cities would be destroyed. On the south of the river Arnon, the famous Moabite river, sat the city of Ar, meaning the city. I can only assume that that meant that Ar was a very prominent city in Moab. Kir, K-I-R, is called Kir Haresef and Kir Haresh in other places. It has the meaning of a citadel or a fortress, which is not far from Ar in the south. So these two great cities, very famous cities, were destroyed. In Isaiah 16 and verse 7, Therefore shall Moab howl for Moab. Everyone shall howl for the foundations of Kirasheth. Shall ye mourn? Surely they are stricken. Letter B, more destroyed cities. In verse 2, he has gone up to Bajith and to Dibon, the high places, to weep. Moab shall howl over Nebo and over Mediba. On all their heads shall be baldness and every beard cut off. Bajith means to the temple. Dibon lay in a plain north of the river Arnon. So the Moabites went to their temples, their high places, their usual places to sacrifice to their gods to weep over the overwhelming destruction. At Nebo, the Moabites worshipped their god Chemosh. Mediba lay southeast of Heshbon. Shaving their heads and beards was a sign of great sorrow and humiliation. For most of us, these cities mean nothing. They're just names. But let's bring it a little bit more into reality. It would be like if our country was destroyed in cities like San Francisco and Omaha and Los Angeles and Denver and big cities across the country were leveled. That's, to these people, it would be the very same thing. 
In Isaiah 16, 12, and it shall come to pass when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place, that he shall come to his sanctuary to pray, but he shall not prevail. Why? He's praying to false gods. Number two, decimated citizens. Letter A, they will mourn openly in public. In verse 3, in their streets they shall gird themselves with sackcloth. On the tops of their houses and in their streets, everyone shall howl, weeping abundantly. The way Isaiah writes this, and he says something similar several times, the grief that is occurring in Moab, or that will occur, this is still prophetical, the weeping and the, the grief will be so overwhelming, it's hard for him to put it in words as they're seeing the destruction in front of them. Number one, their clothing became sackcloth. Moab was a very proud nation. But because of the devastation of their country, they exchanged what normally would be very fine clothing for sackcloth. It was a symbol of mourning and great anguish. Number two, they begged their gods for help. The houses in Moab, as those typical in the Middle East, were often flat. The tops were flat. They would go up on the roofs and they would pray to their gods. For help. Number three, they unashamedly cried aloud. Their grief was so great they wailed in agony in both private places and in public places. In Isaiah 16, 6, we have heard of the pride of Moab. He's very proud. Even of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath, but his lies shall not be so. Joel 1, 8, Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. Letter B. Life would be unbearable for them. Verse 5. And Heshbon shall cry, and Eliela, their voice shall be heard even unto Jahaz. Therefore the armed soldiers of Moab shall cry out. His life shall be grievous unto him. Number 1. More cities in Moab will cry aloud for their destruction. Heshbon was an Amorite city, east of Jordan, taken by Moab after Israel was taken away. Eliela was near Heshbon in the land of the tribe of Reuben. From some distance away, their cries could be heard in Jahaz. Also east of Jordan and Reuben, Moses defeated Sihon in that city. And all I can think of is, it's us going out into our parking lot after a service. And if this destruction had hit Fort Collins, we would be able to hear the wailing. It'd be so loud. The screams, we could hear it. They would be so despondent in Moab that they will feel that their lives were too hard to continue. Number two, they would be overcome with grief. Even the seasoned soldiers who had seen war, and they knew the, the gruesomeness of war, but they would cry out in despair because of the utter desolation of their country. In Jeremiah 8.3, And death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remain of this evil family, which remain in all the places whither I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. Letter C. Fugitives would flee and cry out along their pilgrimage. 
Verse 5, My heart shall cry out for Moab. His fugitives shall flee unto Zoar, and heifer of three years old. For by the mounting up of Luhith, with weeping shall they go it up. For in the way of Horonim, they shall raise up a cry of destruction. Well, the first thing that is important that I see in this verse, my heart. My heart shall cry for Moab. Well, who's the my? Well, I think it is Isaiah, the prophet. So overwhelmed with what he saw in this prophecy that he couldn't take it. It was just too much. His heart would cry out for Moab. Number one, the prophet becomes full of grief. The devastation is so great that even Isaiah cries out in sympathy. Though he understands God's justification or judgment, the reality of its severity was more than Isaiah could handle. I thought about that as I was preparing for this. I don't look forward to the great white throne judgment if we're allowed to watch. Now, of course, the great white throne judgment is not for us. It's for the unsaved. But if we are there watching it. Can't imagine what it's going to be like as people, especially people that we may know, are, are judged for their works and then cast into an eternal hellfire. Can't imagine that. I was thinking, what if, what if we're there when some notoriously wicked, wicked people are brought up and their charges are brought up in front of them? And then the angels grab onto them after the Lord declares their sentence, and they're cast into eternal hellfire. Do you think we're going to be rejoicing even when people like Hitler are thrown into hell? I don't think so. I think we are going to be overcome with grief at their eternal destiny. Isaiah, as he saw what was happening to Moab, was overcome with grief. Number two, the fugitives will wail in despair. Moab's refugees would flee from the carnage in their homeland to Zoar, the city to which Lot fled to escape God's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The cry of the fugitives is likened, interestingly, to that of a three-year-old heifer. Now, I've been around cows a whole lot, but I don't know if there's something unique about a three-year-old heifer. I asked them today, and maybe you know this answer. I don't know, but is there something, uh, is there something special about a three-year-old heifer when it comes to offerings? You know? Okay. Okay. So would it would its cry be different, unique? I'm wondering if in one of the offerings, the Jews perhaps traditionally would use a three-year-old heifer for particular offerings. I don't know. Nobody knows? I don't know. Yes, but was it a three-year-old heifer? Was it? Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay, back to the study. Number three, Roman numeral three. More hardships for the Moabites. About the time you think you can't take it. It's too much. Isaiah says, I can't take it. What I've seen for their devastation is too much. 
Letter A, God also judged Moab with a drought. In verse 6, For the waters of Nimrim shall be desolate, for the hay is withered away, the grass faileth, there is no green thing. Not only would they deface the destroying army of Assyria, but God would turn the spigot off of the rain, and they would face a horrible drought as well. Nimrim was a well-watered pasture land good for grazing animals until God's judgment fell. So you have the Assyrians. Now you have drought. Letter B, refugees would flee with as much of their stuff as they could carry. Verse 7, Therefore the abundance they have gotten, and that which they have laid up, shall they carry away to the brook of the willows. Not wanting to leave behind their possessions, the Moabite refugees carted all they could and took it to their southern border, a brook of the willows, where they hoped they could hide them or try and figure out how to cross the brook. The text suggests they grabbed all they could of their material possessions and fled for their lives. After all, they'd gotten some blue light specials at Kmart. They couldn't allow those to stay. They had to bring them with them. Some of you too young to know what a blue light special at Kmart is, I'm sure. Letter C. The escapees would cry out from around the borders of the land. Verse 8. For the cry is gone about the borders of Moab, the howling thereof unto Eglam, and the howling thereof unto Baralim. Destruction and utter defeat caused the Moabites to cry out around the borders of the land from which they escaped. The cities named are likely border cities on the outskirts of the land of Moab. The Assyrians come and they begin attacking Moab and it's driving the people out. Where are they going? They're going to the border of the country to try to get away, to try to flee Assyria. And on the border, it's now filled with people who are, who are wailing, who are crying out. Letter D, a stream would turn to blood and lions would roam the land. Verse 9, for the waters of Dimon shall be full of blood. I will bring more upon Dimon, lions upon him that escapeth the Moab, and upon the remnant of the land. Number 1, the Dimon stream would fill with the blood of those killed. The Arnon River feeds the Dimon stream, which is east of the Dead Sea. It would turn red with the blood of the slain in Moab. And if it's not enough, if, if the Assyrians and the drought's not enough, God sent lions to clean up those who escape. God would add to the extreme agony of the Moabites lions that would prey upon the fugitives and throughout the land of Moab. Roman number four, Moab encouraged to gain Judah's favor. Chapter 16, verse 1, Send ye the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness, unto the mount of the daughter of Zion. Well, disclaimer, there's lots of various opinions over the next couple of verses here. And so I just chose one. And so you may have, see it a little differently, but uh, let's take this verse and kind of walk backwards with it. 
unto the mount of the daughter of Zion, or we're talking about unto the, the people of God, unto Jerusalem, unto uh, Jude, Judah, send ye the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness unto the mount of the daughter of Zion. So send a lamb ultimately to the mount of the daughter of Zion. So send a lamb to Judah. Moab had been conquered by David. During that time, paid tribute to him, including sheep. The Moabites paid tribute to David because David conquered them. Moab here was being encouraged to once again send sheep to Judah. Why? To try and gain some favor and possible protection for them against Assyria as they're fleeing their land. It looks to me like they're being encouraged to send sheep to Judah to try to win favor with Judah, that Judah might welcome them into their country and protect them from the Assyrians. That's what it appears. Selah was likely the same location as Petra, a region of dwellings carved out of rock. The Moabites could have found refuge in its protected environment. 2 Kings 3, verse 4. And Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep master, and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs, and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But it came to pass, when Ahab was dead, that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Under David, they paid tribute. But when wicked king Ahab died, they stopped paying tribute. So no longer were they sending the sheep. So they're being encouraged now, start that up. Hey, win some favor. Start sending sheep over them once again so that they will allow you to come in and be protected. Verse 2. For it shall be that as a wandering bird cast out of the nest, so the daughters of Moab shall be at the fords of Arnon. Letter A, the cast out Moabites are slowed by the river. The prophet here pictures the Moabites as a bird cast out of its nest and wandering away. As the Moabites flee the Assyrians, they find themselves at the same river, at the river Arnon, which runs along its southern boundary, trying to cross it. Numbers 21:13. From thence they removed and pitched on the other side of Arnon, which is in the wilderness that cometh out of the coast of Amorites. For Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites. Letter B. Here's where it gets even more complicated. Moab appealed to Judah for protection. Verse 3. Take counsel, execute judgment. Make thy shadow as the night in the midst of the noonday. Hide the outcasts. Bewray not him that wandereth. Let mine outcasts dwell with thee, Moab. Be thou a covert to them from the face of the spoiler, for the extortioner is at hand. The spoiler ceaseth. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. Let me read you what I got first of all. This seems to be a plea from Moab addressed to Judah pleading for them to provide shelter and protection for them 
from the Assyrians. It starts off by saying, take counsel, execute judgment, or Judah, meet together, consider our application, take counsel, and then execute judgment in our favor. They ask for shelter as a shadow, as the night in the midst of the noonday. Why? Because in shadow, in darkness, you can't be seen. Put us under a shadow in your country so we can't be found. They asked that Judah not betray their whereabouts to the enemy. Apparently, they believed the assault would be over soon, as Assyria must have been retreating at that time out of the land. Here's the difficulty from what I just read. In verse number four, it says, now remember, I'm looking at this as the Moabites are pleading with Judah to open their boundaries so that we, they can come in and hide with them. But in verse four, it says, let mine outcast dwell with thee, Moab. So at first reading, it looks like it's flipped. It looks like it is Judah appealing to Moab. Let my outcast be with you. And here's the problem. About 50% of the commentaries I read believe it one way. The other 50% believe the other way. So, I don't know. I don't know. It makes sense to me. And, and the way the, the Hebrew is written, though it doesn't make sense in the English, the way the Hebrew is written, it makes sense for it to be Judah appealing to Moab. And so, I, I don't know. But this is the way that I've chosen to fall on because it makes more sense to me. Letter C. Blessings prophesied upon Judah. Verse 5. And in mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. I see a couple applications of this verse. First of all, this statement could be an attempt by Moab to persuade them to protect them, describing the incredible blessing that would come to them if they were merciful. It could have been actually fulfilled under Hezekiah's reign. But it could also, and is likely, a prophetical prophecy of the millennial reign of Christ, sitting on the throne of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. In Psalm 96, verse 13, Before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Roman number 5, Judah rejected Moab's pleas for help. Verse 6, We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud, even of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath but his lies shall not be so. Judah listens to Moab's plea and outright rejects it because of Moab's offending sins, pride, arrogance, and wrath. Now I'll add lies to that. Moab's lies were seen in their efforts to win Judah's favor for protection. They had made lavish promises upon Judah if only they would open their arms to them. Jeremiah 48, 29 says something similar. We have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceeding proud. His loftiness and his arrogancy and his pride and the haughtiness of his heart. I know his wrath, saith the Lord, but it shall not be so. 
his lie shall not so affect it. So it sounds to me like this, this appeal to Judah was denied. I think God led them to do so. I think God led them to deny their appeal. No, we will not allow you to come in. This is God's judgment. If we brought you in and protected you from God's judgment, we would be standing in the way of God. Letter A. In rejection, the Moabites will wail to each other. Verse 7. Therefore shall Moab howl for Moab. <laughs> Everyone shall howl. For the foundations of Kirasheth shall ye mourn. Surely they are stricken. I don't know why... It seems funny to me the way it's written. Moab shall howl for Moab. <laughs> Moab shall cry for Moab. Once Moab receives Judah's rejection, they will lose hope and mourn. The Moabites will cry out or howl to each other in agony. Kiraseth was a major city in Moab known for its brick architecture. It would be leveled by the Assyrians exposing the very foundations of the buildings. In 2 Kings 3.25, And they beat down the cities, and on every good piece of land cast every man his stone and filled it. And they stopped all the wells of water and felled all the good trees. Only in Kiraseth left they the stones thereof. Howbeit the slingers went about and smote it. Now, I think this is referring to the foundations. I said the, they left the foundations there. So the stones there, I believe, were the, the stones of the foundations. Everything else was just leveled. Letter B, the Assyrians will completely destroy the land of Moab. Verse, verse 8, for the fields of Heshbon languisheth, and the vine of Sibma. The lords of the heathen have broken down the principal plants thereof. So if you notice, fields, vine, plants. They are come even to Jazer. They wander through the wilderness. Her branches are stretched out. They are gone over the sea. As a, as a result of drought and the trampling down by the enemy, the once fertile fields of Moab's Heshbon withered, along with the famous vines and vineyards of Sibma. Apparently, Agriculture was an incredibly important commodity there in this land of Moab, and especially these cities, Heshbon, Sibma, Jazer. The Assyrian lords went through the land and destroyed it, including its vines, fields. Jazer was believed to lie 15 miles from Heshbon. The phrase, the branches stretched out over the sea, referred to the vine so popular in that region. In Jeremiah 48, 32, O vine of Sibma, I will weep for thee with the weeping of Jazer. Thy plants are gone over the sea. They reach even to the sea of Jazer. The spoiler is fallen upon the summer fruits and upon the vent thy vintage. And joy and gladness is taken from the plentiful field and from the land of Moab. And I have caused wine to fail from the wine presses. None shall tread with shouting. Their shouting shall be no shouting. They're weeping over the loss of these things that are so important to them. All I could think of is what if, what if our, our leaders went even crazy, or just crazy. And they said, you know, the way we're going to make some real 
funds is if we start excavating the front range. If we just start excavating all the minerals out of the front range. And before you know it, the front range is just completely scarred. And the mountains that we see are so beautiful today are just become ugly. You suppose that would affect us? Suppose it would affect the people living on the front range? I would think so. Because that's what we look to. That's, that's, what I, that's what identifies this whole region of the beautiful mountains. Well, what identified this region was the beautiful plants, the vines that were so gorgeous. Letter C, Isaiah becomes overcome by the devastation of Moab. Verse 9. Therefore I will bewail with the weeping of Jazer, the vine of Sibma. I will water thee with my tears, O Heshbon and Elila, for the shouting for thy summer fruits and for thy harvest is fallen. The prophet Isaiah once again revealed his anguish. How touched he was over the complete desolation of Moab. I liken this to the Lord Jesus overcome with the emotion at the tomb of Lazarus because of Mary and Martha's tears. So Isaiah here is grieved with Moab over their destruction. Isaiah wept over the desolation of the land. Their famous vines had been destroyed. Their fields trampled. There was now nothing left of that once proud nation. Letter D. There is no joy in harvest this year. Verse 10, gladness is taken away and joy out of the plentiful field. And the vineyards, there shall be no singing, neither shall there be shouting. The treaders shall tread out no wine in their presses. I have made their vintage shouting to cease. <laughs> it's hard for us probably to get our minds around it, but somebody that is used to being around vineyards, especially in, in these primitive days, they would understand right away the, the joy of harvest, the joy of collecting all this fruit and the parties they would have, even parties of trampling out the, trampling out the grapes and, and seeing how much they could get that year. The gladness that accompanied a plentiful harvest would not be present this fall as the fields are destroyed. There would be no singing as the grapevines are picked as the vines will have been uprooted and left to die. Those who tread the grapes to extract the juice will have no job for lack of grapes. And what would normally be a joyous scene, now there's only sadness and despair. In Amos 5:17, And in all vineyards shall be wailing, for I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. Letter E. Isaiah groans, for Moab. Verse 11, Wherefore my bowels shall sound like an harp for Moab, and mine inward parts for Kirharesh. Isaiah could not be more descriptive. He will be so overwhelmed. His innards will be making noises. He's so overwhelmed. Verse Jeremiah 48, 36, Therefore mine heart shall sound for Moab like pipes, and mine heart shall sound like pipes for the men of Keresh, because the riches that he hath gotten are perished. Letter F, the Moabites pray to their gods, but 
to no avail. Verse 12, And it shall come to pass, when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place, that he shall come to his sanctuary to pray, but he shall not prevail. As Moab watches the enemy prevail, he flees to the temples of his gods and prays. However, those gods can't even hear what he's saying. 1 Kings 18, 26, And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And Roman numeral 6, the timing of the prophecy. Verse 13, 14, this is the word that the Lord hath spoken concerning Moab since that time. But now the Lord hath spoken, saying, Within three years, as the years of an hireling, and the glory of Moab shall be contemned with all that great multitude, and the remnant shall be very small and feeble. Here is the prophecy of the Lord against Moab. The Lord hath spoken, therefore, it shall come to pass. Within the years of a hireling, or a fixed number of years, here three, his prophecy will come to pass. The ruins of Elielah, Heshbon, Mediba, Debon, and other cities still exist to confirm the inspiration of Scripture, the accurate particularity of specification of the places 3,000 years ago confirmed by modern research is a strong testimony of the truth of prophecy. This is one of my commentaries. So as I considered this, I was considering God opened up and unleashed His wrath upon Moab. Moab was guilty. There's no question. Where I find question is, what is the difference between Moab, a wicked, wicked country that God unleashed his fury, and our country that is guilty of the blood of millions and millions of unborn, among other grievous, grievous sins? What's the difference? And I was just tossing this around this afternoon, and I thought of only, only one significant difference. Because who's to say which sin is more grievous? But as I thought, I could only think of one person I mentioned earlier, we mentioned earlier, that was really a bright spot coming out of Moab, and that was Ruth. Other than that, I, I couldn't think of anybody in the Bible anyway that God referred to that this person came out of Moab and they were righteous before God. I couldn't find anybody. I didn't, I didn't know him that. Our country is going some very down a very tragically wrong path. Great wickedness in our country. But there is still salt in our country. Now that salt needs to get saltier, but there is still salt in our country for now. But it won't be long before that salt is removed. 
And on that day, what will distinguish our country from Moab? And I'm going to offer to you nothing. Nothing. So I hope that put in perspective a little bit the study. Because as God unleashed his wrath on Moab, it was very justified. The wrath that he has not released on our country is only because of his mercy. So I ask you to continue to pray. I believe there can still be a great revival in our country. I believe it. And I believe that revival is something that God longs for people to come to know him. But it can't happen. It can't happen. never has happened until there's some salty Christians. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for this study. Thank you, Lord, for being so perfect and so right. Thank you for your holiness. I thank you that you do judge sin, though sometimes it's so hard to comprehend. Lord, hell is right, but I have a hard time understanding it. So Lord, I pray that you might help us to be salty, that we might affect others for you. Lord, thank you once again for this study. We love you. Go with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.